0: Well, greetings. I am Brent Johnston. If you don't know me, um, I'll be delivering the message today. And so uh, in Aaron's absence, so Aaron Holbert is the senior pastor here, um, I wanted to mention that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so um, this is the first Sunday where he actually has the day off. Imagine that, a pastor having the day off. And so um, we are happy to work in this church to build a resource pool that Aaron can draw from to, uh, to fill vacancies when he needs them and to uh, have a life that is uh, somewhat normal in the family realm. And so I just wanted to mention that to you, perhaps be thinking about what you would like to do uh, in this church A pastor does not come by himself, he must come with a wife, Um, and so there is a whole family there uh, to minister to, and so consider that um, for Pastor Appreciation Month. So, one of the things, by way of introduction, is I'd like to ask you a question, what goes through your mind? When someone from your distance past is making a presence in your current realm, someone from your distance, what goes through your mind when you meet somebody? This happened to me this week. Um, I met somebody that I had previously encountered. It happened to be in a work scenario, Um, but I hadn't seen this person in eight to ten years. And so... I encountered. We met in the parking lot. Uh, they were a new employee to where I work, um, and so there's this there's this encounter. Like, well, I haven't seen this person in quite a while, you know. And so I, uh, there's a there's a speech model that it is called the Bill's Bob's Bill speech model, and it's primarily a model that takes place in the in the mind. Okay of when you're talking with somebody. And so what the, the, how that works is, is what does Bob think Bill thinks of Bob? Okay? So what does Bob think Bill thinks of Bob? And so this pattern is occurring in your mind as you're having a conversation. That's why it's a speech model. And so you, you would say, well, you know, how, well, how do I remember this person? How do they remember me? How are they different now? Right? How am I different now? So everyone has a past and everyone has a present. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we are reading from today's passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to go ahead and read that passage. And we'll go from there. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to pray. (laughs) Lord, let us not approach your scripture in a human aspect, Lord. Let us know that it is a divine work, Lord. And we take time to pause and pray, Lord. Because when we come to the concentrated part of our service here today where we focus on your word, we are focusing on you and what you have for it. It is your word. So break it into our lives, Lord. Not, may even just the, the hearing of your word glorify you, Lord. We know that your scripture says that it does that for itself. And so we pray, Lord, that we would be touched and anointed and, and ministered to do today by your word. And so we ask your spirit to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that... which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The reader or the hearer of Ephesians is going to have chapter 1 in the forefront of their mind. And when we, as we get to chapter 2, we need to have that in our mind. So I want to review chapter 1 very quickly Um. And to, to, for to get into the, to our minds this morning, the fact of what Paul says believers have. So believers have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blissing, blessing in the heavenly places. Believers have been chosen in Christ. They have been adopted through Christ. They have been blessed with grace in Christ. They've been forgiven and redeemed by grace. They have received lavish grace. God revealed himself that we can know him. That is one of the things that he has given those that believe him. We are part of an eternal plan of unity in Christ, we are possessors of an inheritance. In other words, it's already, but not yet. You have an inheritance, but you can't take it yet. We read scriptural examples of that happening. We are possessors of hope. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of inheritance to be possessed in heaven. Then Paul goes on in chapter 1, and he prays for the Ephesians. And so that prayer, since this is scripture, is transmuted into the future Christian readers. It's for you and for me, this prayer. That we would know the revealed hope of a calling to Christ's inheritance in the saints. A glorious inheritance that shows his riches that will be displayed. That is what Paul is praying that these people would come To know in their inner being. Then he goes on in verses 19 through 23. And he reveals that God worked a great might. When he raised Jesus from the dead. right? And he placed him on the heavenly throne. And he gave him the headship of the church. His body. That was an incredibly powerful and mighty work that God did. And so these are the things that are in the reader's mind that God has now taken Christ out of the tomb and He has placed Him in the heavenlies above everything else, right? And so then Paul transitions in to chapter 2. And he goes back and talks about what our past was like without Christ. he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. And this word for, for dead in the Greek is, is necros, and it's, it's like a living death. We, I would equate it to what our, in our modern vernacular is kind of what we would call a zombie, right? As a, as a living dead person, right? OK, not, maybe not without all of the graphics that we would see him today but it was a living death. And so it's, it, it, in this case, it's used of the actual spiritual condition of unsaved people. You, when you, before you were saved, you were dead. In trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So Paul's use of this word walked, it's, it's, it's behaving in a particular way right you can imagine in your mind when you see somebody that has a particular attitude right that's the, they're walking and they're walking yes but they're behaving in a particular way right and so sin is dominating the life here their lives you will see that sin is the predominant feature in their life and we're going to see this word again, this word walked in verse 10. But he moves on to following that you were following the course of this world. When you look at the world, it's not too, see, it's not too hard to look at the world and say, yeah, there's something wrong here, right? And so it's the standards of the world that is in rebellion to God. It's not uncommon, so if I, if I encounter something on Facebook or something, it's not encountering for somebody to just flat out lie. It's not uncommon for public, fi- f- public uh, figures to just flat out tell you a bold-faced lie. It's just like it's second nature. And I'm moving on. It was just what I said then, right? And that is the course of this world, a standard of a world in rebellion against God. And they were following, you were following the prince of the power of the air. And this is the ruler of the realm of the air. And that is Satan. At different times, they, they thought differently about what is this, uh, the realm of the air. And so some, sometimes they, at one point in time, they thought it was, oh, from the moon down to the earth, okay? And so, so well, that... There's no air on the moon. We have to have special suits to go up there, right? And so they they had this concept that, you know, well, it was from the moon down. And there was different concepts about, you know, what could be there, the the uh, spiritual entities that could be there and, and stuff. But we could uh, basically summarize that it is the... The prince of the power of the air is the ruler of that realm of the air that is part of the heavenlies, okay, but lower than Christ's realm, right? So it's part of the heavenlies, but it's lower than Christ's realm. We just read in verse one, in chapter 1 that God put everything under Christ. So that, all of those rulers are underneath Christ's realm. Realm. Christ is over those. So, it, so, he, so that ruler um, is under Christ and yet still has access to that realm, right? And we were following that ruler, right? And so when it says, then it goes on to say, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedient. Or those that are under the control of the ruler. Okay? So the ruler is is telling the spirit that's over the work, that's now at work in the sons of dis... He's the one that controls that. So that ruler. So in other words, Satan was ruling, is ruling those that are in disobedience to God. So Paul moves on in verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So Paul is reminding us, hey, this is, was you, right? You were there. I was there, right? And so we, it doesn't take us long to figure out that it's the whole person that is uh, doing this, right? Right? It's our mind and our flesh, our thoughts and our deeds, right? That was the whole person that was caught up in this uh, world of sin, right? And he goes on, then he says, And we were, by nature, children of wrath. So it's the by by nature what Paul is saying is that you were it was you were generally born into this. It was, uh, it was a term referred to the condition into which someone was born. And so you were children of wrath, right? You were born into this wrath of, that, was de- that has been determined for those that will not turn to God. Like the rest of of mankind, right? He says, "Hey, is this problem? It doesn't just affect the lowly or the rich, or the. It's a problem affecting every human being, the rest of mankind." So Paul is reminding him of what it was like to be without Christ, right? And he'll he'll do this for a purpose. In verse four. The great transition, but God, right? And so, the, he's, he moves into the next verse. He says, even when you were dead in your, transgress, in your trespasses, but God, even when you were dead in your trespasses, noting, basically, that we could do nothing to help ourselves, right? That's how dead we were. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul is using this anchor point. He inserts this anchor point that by grace you have been saved as he plans to expound upon it later. Then he continues, and you were raised up and seated with him. You were raised up with him and seated with us. Seated, excuse me, let me read the words correctly. You raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, There's several things that are going on here. One we want to point out, look at the tense of what Paul is saying. You have been saved. It's a past tense use there. You, he raised us up. So you have in a sense, been resurrected. And you have been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. So positionally, when God looks at you, He looks at you having been saved by His grace, resurrected toward His future, and placed. In the heavenlies, of which that mighty work that he just did with Christ in making him that supreme, that supremacy up here, putting him on the throne, he positionally is placing you there with him. Okay, that's what Paul is saying here. And so, the uh, he goes on to say, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's kind of an interesting transition there because he says, okay, I've done this, right? You're positionally, you are up there so that in the coming ages, he might continue to show his immeasurable riches. So what that coming ages means, in all future ages, I don't know that we wrap our minds around this in the sense that God, in eternity future, is going to keep revealing His grace to us, right? It is going to be a continual act of grace, in all ages yet to come, right? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace. That's how rich God's grace is. is that it's going to take time. It's going to take time and eternity to continue to unfold out amongst this inheritance that He has. He's, I'm going to, he says, "I'm going to unfold my riches." Of my grace, that merit, that unmerited uh, way that I look at you, the th- the thing that I, the good things that I do for you that you didn't deserve, it is going to be unfolding as time progresses in the eternity, as as we conceive time, as if time will be an issue there. But God's character. So God's character is. The very purpose he did this saving work. Look at those, the way Paul puts the revelation of God's character. God rich in mercy, right? He said, God doesn't just have mercy. God is rich in mercy, rich enough to throw it out, right? I'm going to catch you from your mercy, is when, is saving you from. The consequence, a penalty, right? So I was destined to be separated. And God in his richness is grabbing me, right? And saving me as a person, right? He is rich in his, he's in his mercy, right? Not only that, but his motivation is that great love. Not just a, oh, you know, like the, I, I, I thought of the analogy of a... Of a, a the Air Coast Guard, that's what I'm trying to think of the right to, you know, the person that you, you say your boat goes down, and the Coast Guard comes along, and the guy rolls down, and like they say, you know, like they pull you out of the water, and you're like totally like, man, you saved my life, I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful. And the guy, yeah, it's just my job, I got to go, I'm going to go off, and be with my friends now, that was this thing I it's just part of my job, you're welcome, no problem. Was that, did that person exhibit that they did that out of love or duty? No, it's more like duty, right? But God, He has a great love. No, I'm chasing after you. I'm chasing after you, and I want you to be with me because of my great love, right? God's love for us is great. This is a character of why God was compelled to do it. And it goes on to, with the last one is that his immeasurable riches of grace. God's grace, that He, that good things that He wants to give us, is so deep we can't measure it, right? We would drown in God's grace, right? It is deep, immeasurable is the word. That is God's character which motivates Him, right? To do the things, to reach out to me, one that was dead in trespasses, right, and in that mercy, save me from my destination, right, and in my, His love, restore me, right, and in His grace, give me an eternal reward. That is the character that Paul is this character of God that Paul is describing here. That was what drove God to do this saving work. So he goes on to the grace of salvation. Verse 8: For by grace you have been saved. Now he could have switched those around, right? He could have said, You've been saved by grace, right? But Paul wants to emphasize. He puts the grace first, right? Because that's the the fact that that's what God is doing. God is doing something He doesn't have to do, right? He is doing reaching out to you and He is saving you from this condition in which you walked, right? He's giving that grace first, right? As an act of salvation, right? So He's giving you the grace. He didn't it didn't save, save you and say, yeah, I, I did that by grace. He says, ah, by grace, I am going to save you, right? And I'm going to, you have been saved through faith. So that word, that through there is it's a, res, a response of faith. The through that Paul is saying here is you've been saved through a response of faith faith so it's been aligned with God's grace the faith that we have that we place in our God that trust that we bring to the situation is the, it's aligned with the grace so that together God creates this saving work all by himself right it says and it is not your own doing it is the gift Of God. So this is the one of the the uh, say the I was going to write it down and I didn't go back and do it, Um, but it's one of the uh, where you've been saved by grace. You've been by grace alone. You've been saved alone by faith alone. (laughs) So it's you've been saved by. Grace uh, through faith, right? And so it's one of the uh, the great uh, where they use the Latin, I believe it is, right? Uh, so, yeah. And so, uh, but he's just so it's a, it's a, one of those prominent things that we know from the scriptures, right? And so he's, so Paul goes on to say that it's not a result of works, right? There is no works that you can get yourself out of this mess. Paul describes the mess in verse, verses, the first three verses. He says, "There is no work that you could do that you could get you out of this mess. right? In fact, one of the things that Paul is saying is that uh, there is no work that you can do now, that can add to where God has put you, okay? So he says, not of works, so that no one may boast. So why would God do it that way? Why would he not say, well, you know, if you're, you know, if you're penitent enough, if you, you can, one, he made us, Right? He knows our inner nature. It's innate for us to boast. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that God knows our nature. There have been plenty of times when my three-year-old would come out of cubbies, mommy, daddy, look what I made. You know? That was a boast. Right? Look look what I did. It was an innocent, it was a a not a Uh, wrongly ordered boast, right? But I wanted to point that out. We are by nature, we are boastful, right? And God wanted to make salvation to the point to where it was all him and none of us. So I couldn't come and say, Abba Father, look what I did, right? Look what I did. Look what I brought to the equation. Look what I'm doing for you, right? And so, it can't be of any works because he knows our nature so that no one can boast. Paul goes on, for we are his workmanship. This word for workmanship is... Poema, and it stands for a work of art. So it could be a play, it could be a sculpture, it could be um, a a writing. And so it's it's uh, a word that's used for a work of art. So you can uh, poem even right. And so those are are the when it says we are his workmanship. We in other words, it's in other words to say we are a work of art of God, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, recreated in Christ Jesus. When we became saved and we we're placed in the heavenly realms, God recreated us, right? With a nature that was not that was contrary to the former nature. We have become a new work of art, right? It's going to take that new work of art to, to want to work for the Lord and want to uh, to do the things that... So he's talking about, he says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the, the, the word good there means that it's profitable or benefiting others. So that's the term for good that that Paul is using here, good good works. So what, what role do these works have then? If Paul says, you know, hey, you were created for good works, what role do they have? Well, one, that works, those works have to be profitable and they have to be benefiting others. We'll look more at this in a moment. And he goes on to say which God prepared beforehand. And the discussion of the of the commentators that I read it, uh, saying in the context of Ephesians here when he is that from the foundations of the world, God has planned these works. And so God prepared beforehand, is they're taking it all the way back to the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, God had planned these works, much like he had planned the life and the work of Christ before the foundation of the world. Okay, And so, at the right time, Jesus became a man, right? He was fully God and fully man, and we covered that controversy in Sunday school. And at the right time, he came, and what did he do? What did he say my job was to do? I was sent by the Father to do his will. I came to do the good works that God had prepared for me, his son, to do at the right time right then. Think of Jesus as when He had the access to the power. Some, every day, it says that He was sinless. The Scripture tells us He was sinless when He was crucified. And yet every day, when He would call it a day, or go to sleep if He had a place to sleep, He could rest in the Lord. But He could have healed... One more person. Oh, if I just stay up another 10 minutes, I could heal another person, right? So every day he had this connection with the Father that says, well, there, there's just more needs and more needs and more needs, and I could keep doing it, and I could keep doing this work, and I keep doing this work. But somehow he knew when to call it a day. He knew when to let God's work rest in his hands, right? and to go and let uh, the work that he had done be at a complete for that day. So God had prepared these works for Jesus. He walked of, of the way that we say when we identify, I am a Christian, right? That means that I am to walk in the way that God himself walked when he was here, right? He had good works to do, right? He goes on it says, God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, behaving in a particular way, right? And so, when you look at the life of Jesus, that's why you should read the Gospels periodically is to look at the life of Jesus and say, well, how did he walk and what did he do, right? And walk in the way, in the particular way that we see Jesus walking, right? He prepared them that we should walk in them. Charles Spurgeon wrote, good deeds or works reflect Christ's life flowing through us and our deeds which are initiated and energized by His Spirit. And therefore, our deeds which bring pleasure to our Father. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 So he says it's, Christ's life flowing through us and our deeds which are initiated and energized by His Spirit. Those are what good works are, right? We can conclude that we are positionally in heaven. So good works don't get us to where we already are. But those works are from there. Just as Jesus says, I have come to do the will of my Father. I have come to do the will that comes from heaven through me to mankind, right? And that's where these works are to come from, right? They are from there, not for there. They don't add anything to us, to our position there. They're more, as I see it, more as a ministry from there. Such as Purgeon said, Christ's life flowing through us. Remembering that we remembering that what we have been saved from, that causes humility in us, knowing that we identified with where people We need to remember of what we've been saved from. And it causes us to have mercy, love, and grace. Oh, did we hear that before? God's rich mercy, His great love, and His immeasurable riches of grace. It causes us to have mercy, love, and grace as a ministry in light of what we have been saved to. Because of what we have been saved to, we can conduct a life in ministry that does these things. In order that the glory is given to God in Christ's inheritance. So in the near future, maybe today, maybe this week, read the remainder of Ephesians with the view that the imperatives are a call... ministry from a heavenly position. Children, obey your parents. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. See if God is not glorified by viewing those imperatives as ministry. A ministry that God prepared for us that He would be glorified. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that uh, you have done everything that we need, Lord. We come in faith and trust you in that, Lord. There's nothing that we can add to uh, what you in your mighty works have done. Thank you for positioning us in the heavenly places, Lord, that we can, can... at the moment's notice, know and recognize that ministry is calling and to trust you to know that it is in your hands, Lord, to know that we can walk in the comfort and the security of the fact that you, in a mighty way, have placed Jesus there and you have placed us with him in the heavenly realms, that we can trust that, we can have confidence in walking out ministry here on earth that we might be salt and light for you, Lord. Cause us to see ministry, Lord, to see the grace that you have desired for people um, as a way to spread your glory. So enable us, we pray, Lord, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.